Thank you for joining Bonafide Ministry. This is Stephen Hunter. Well, if you ask anyone who attends a church what their leadership structure is, you're likely to get various answers. Some people have various different uh, leadership structures at their churches. For example, some may have a pastorate, and then they may have a group of elders and deacons. Uh, Others, such as the Baptists, tend to have a pastorate and deacons. That is, they have pastors and deacons. Now, in the churches of Christ, we have elders and deacons, and there are ministers acting in a role uh, akin to the deacons, because the word translated deacon and minister are the same are from the same Greek term, diakonos. And ministers, we really, which is what I am, we really act in a role akin uh, to the monarchy of England, if you think about it. We have no power, but we do yield influence. So it's become common to refer to the preacher as pastor in nearly every tradition, except those that call their uh, their preachers either a priest or father. But among us in churches of Christ, such preachers are the minister unless they're also an elder. Uh, And in that case, he can be called pastor, but then he's usually not. So if you listen to the last episode, the previous episode, I discussed the New Testament form of church governance uh, that we see uh, all the way from Matthew to Revelation. And what we noted was that there were in the local church, there were elders there were deacons and ministers. Now, elders and deacons are always plural, but ministers are not. You can have one or you can have several. But the person standing in the pulpit is usually esteemed different than what we who are preachers or ministers would have ever been in the early church. Church leaders in the New Testament were well thought of, but they were not venerated. Uh, They would have been respected for their station and looked to for concrete leadership, since the gospel way in the first century was usually oral more than literary. Uh, The Hebrew scriptures were indeed used in the early church, that is the Old Testament, as they were in the synagogue. But still, the first century church lacked a complete New Testament as we have it today. So the church in the first century, in our New Testaments, they had the leaders. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and Ephesians 4, 11, we read about apostles, prophets, teachers, and so forth. But in the individual congregations, according to Acts 14, 23, the elders were appointed. So the early church worship included robustly doctrinal hymns instead of our modern praise and worship uh, that we see in the church today. The ancient hymns that the early Christians sang were statements of belief. And they didn't sing them melodically, but they chanted repetitiously. So even the simplest of Christians was capable of repeating them to explain Christianity. Now, if you want to write these down, there are several of these early hymns in the New Testament itself. Uh, One is Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. And Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Also, 1 Timothy 3, 16. 1 Timothy 3, 16. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. 
Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 25. 1 Peter 2, verses 21 through 25. So those were some of the hymns from the New Testament that were chanted or sung in the early church. But as we talked about last week, by the end of the second century, Ignatius, who was Bishop of Antioch, his notion of a threefold church leadership structure was common throughout the entire church by the end of the second century. And as a refresher, his structure was bishop, elders, or presbytery, and deacons. After all, his urging Christians to, to submit to their bishops in all things would have ensured that the one bishop was regarded as the protector of the truth. And of course, the elders and deacons would have shared that responsibility. But that bishop was the local bishop of a city at the time, but later the position grew to include territories. So by the end of the second century, Hegesip, excuse me, Hegesippus, if that's how you say that name, and Irenaeus had produced lists of bishops throughout various cities. And they did this as sort of a retort to the Gnostics who were producing their own list of church leaders at the end of the second century. Now, Irenaeus drew upon a list of bishops and he drew up a list of bishops and he strengthened his argument by arguing their succession from the apostles. So in his work against heresies, chapter three, book three, excuse me, book three, chapter three, verse three, he lays out the lineage of the Roman church. He says, quote, the blessed apostles then having founded and built up the Roman church, committed into the hands of Linus, the office of the Episcopate. Uh, the Episcopate is our English word, Episcopal, which is the bishopric or overseership. He goes on, of this Linus, Paul makes mention in the epistles to Timothy. To him succeeded Anacletus, uh, Anacletus excuse me, uh, and after him in the third place from the apostles, Clement was allotted the bishopric. This man, as he had seen the blessed apostles, and had been conversant with them, might be said to have the preaching of the apostles still echoing in his ears and their traditions before his eyes, end quote. So the Gnostic teachers first claimed an apostolic succession of their teachers. So Irenaeus's list became a hallmark of the Orthodox faith that was taught in the church. So the Roman church rose to prominence for numerous reasons, the least of which entailed Peter and Paul having ministered there for several years. So as the title suggested, we will discuss the rise of the papacy. But in order to do that, we have to begin with the rise of Roman primacy. Now the church at Rome had emerged as a leader of Christianity by the end of the second century. Irenaeus, in that same book against heresies, in book 3, chapter 3, verse 2, he said, it's a matter of necessity that every church should agree with this church on account of its preeminent authority. He's speaking about the Roman church there. So being the capital of the empire also had its perks. The Roman church grew immensely during the 2nd and the 3rd centuries, 
And despite being as large as they were, they maintained fidelity in preserving the apostolic traditions. Now, their wealth allowed them to be noticed for their charity, and they often sent aid to the churches throughout the known world when needed. Some of the members also held political positions of influence in the empire, and the Roman congregation was known to have had direct contact with Peter and Paul, who had been put to death in the city. So all these factors together kind of shows us why the Roman church grew and became prime in the first century. Now, these factors elevated this church throughout the Universal Assembly of Christians, and in time, the notoriety that the church had would vest significant authority in that church's bishop. Now, though Peter is often touted as the first pope and the founder of the Roman church, history, as well as scripture, dictates otherwise. When Pentecost came in Acts chapter 2, um, we read in chapter 2, verse 10, that visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, were among those who heard the good news that Peter preached in Jerusalem. Now, Jews had lived in Rome as far back as the second century BCE, with many more becoming slaves due to Pompey's triumph in the first century BCE. Among the Jews who came for Pentecost were also proselytes, and a proselyte was a Gentile who'd, who'd fully converted to Judaism. So the fact that at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 were Jews and proselytes, that is fully converted Gentiles, that tells us already that uh, they already existed in Rome. And it also indicates that there was a converted Gentile population already identifying as Jewish. So the mix of Jew-Gentile in Rome exists before even the church's first Pentecost, and that really gives us some pretty good context to Paul's letter to the Romans. But anyway, when he wrote that letter to the Romans, in chapter 16, he makes no mention of Peter. He does make mention of various other people. For example, he mentions Priscilla and Aquila. He had met them in Corinth when Jews were exiled from Rome, suggesting that the church was already in existence by Acts 18 verses 1 and 2. Now, history suggests that Peter went to Rome in 42, the year 42, after having been the bishop of Antioch. Now, when he was in Rome, he wrote his letter, 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 and 13, he identifies himself not as the bishop of the church, but as an elder among fellow elders. So the time that Peter spent in Rome may have allowed him to aid the church in becoming better structured and ordered, but he didn't establish the congregation. Now, Paul would arrive in Rome in the year 60 CE, and he would live there for at least two years in a particular location that we know of, according to Acts 28 verse 30. But after that, we don't know entirely where he went until the traditional date of his and Peter's martyrdom in the year 67 CE, that at the behest of the Roman Emperor Nero. But when you consider the time that they spent in Rome, they would have been able to make headways and solidify Christian orthodoxy that would have been the envy of the church. Now, there are some other things to consider as to why Peter was not the first pope or founder of the Roman church. Ignatius, Clement and Hermas 
each wrote to the Roman Church in the late 1st and early 2nd centuries. And in their writings, the Roman Church had a plurality of presbyters or elders, a plurality of elders and bishops, and not a pope. Near the end of the 2nd century, an ongoing debate on the proper date of Easter persisted. And until this time, the church had just peacefully tolerated the difference over this issue. But this discussion flared up again. So bishops, bishops from all over called meetings to discuss this. Some in Asia reaffirmed the practice of observing Easter on the 14th day of Nisan, regardless of which day of the week it fell on. In contrast, the others insisted that it should always be celebrated on a Sunday, which is what we in the West do. I believe the East does this as well. Well, Victor of Rome grew frustrated by this ongoing controversy, and he attempted to excommunicate the Asian churches for their view. Now, this was likely the first time that a Roman bishop exercised power over the church universal. But still, this attempted excommunication failed despite Sunday being the day that would actually prevail in history. But nearly 50 years later, after the time of Victor of Rome, Cyprian of Carthage and Stephen of Rome disputed over baptism. Stephen of Rome at that point in 382 CE, for the first time ever invoked Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, to solidify that text as a passage of Roman primacy since the bishopric of Rome was then taught to have succeeded Peter. Then the occupier of Peter's seat or see became regarded as holding priority over others, but he wasn't necessarily at that time head of the universal church. So by the end of the fourth century, we still do not necessarily see the Bishop of Rome regarded as the Pope per se. He was, however, regarded as first among equals. That's a very important point to hold on to. So when it comes to the papacy as we know it, you look at Christianity as a whole, and as time went on and Christianity grew, the bishop over a capital city or province became known as a metropolitan. And among the metropolitans, those in a city, uh, certain cities with extraordinary claims to apostolic succession, they were given the title of patriarch. Now that's the form of church leadership or polity that existed by the Council of Nicaea in 325 CE. Well, a few years after that council, we have a huge issue. The Emperor Constantine in 330 CE relocates the empire's capital from Rome to what is modern-day Istanbul, Turkey. And because he's a humble guy, he decided to name it after himself, being the city of Constantinople. This city was referred to then as New Rome, and some people believed in the church that the relocation of the imperial capital meant a change for the authority of the church. But Rome didn't take well to that belief. If the seat of imperial power now rested in Constantinople, well, fine. However, the Roman church was still to be esteemed as first among equals because Peter and Paul had been there, thus giving them the purest form of Christianity, and everyone should look to them. The first three patriarch patriarchates in Christianity were Rome, Antioch, and Alexandria. So you have the West, the East, and Africa. You have Africa, uh, the Middle East, and the West covered there.
but later added to them were the patriarchs of Constantinople and Jerusalem. The Nicene Council, however, gave more honor to Rome and Constantinople, but not authority. Well, by the year 451 at the Council of Chalcedon, equal privileges were given to Constantinople as what Rome wielded. Now, these two sees are constantly battling over pre prestige and power. And the Patriarch of Constantinople in the year 595, he assumes the title of Ecumenical Patriarch. And that's a title that still exists in the Eastern Orthodox Church. His name was John the Faster, and he had taken that title, and that provoked Gregory the Great, or who's often referred to as Pope Gregory I, to petition the emperor requesting that he not acknowledge this. By this time, the Western Roman Empire had fallen, and people in the West looked to Gregory the Great for a sense of continuity. He was from a senatorial family, and so you might think that uh, this would have weighed in with him discussing this issue with the Emperor Maurice. Still, instead, the Emperor Maurice acknowledged John the Faster as ecumenical patriarch, but the emperor was slain by a usurper a few years later, and Gregory sent letters praising the new emperor. But Emperor Focus would later, in 606, transfer the title of Universal Bishop to Boniface III, and this appears, at least to me, to be the point at which the Roman supremacy of the Pope was firmly established. But as you might imagine, the Eastern Church didn't take this very well. <laughs>